Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Ontario Premier Doug Ford says General Rick Hillier will lead the province's distribution task force once a vaccine is available. We're being told that by early 2021, the first doses will be available. And when those doses are ready, we have to be ready as well. Will Canadians be getting a vaccine at the same time that other countries will? I can't speak to Ally Country's regulatory processes. I can just speak to mine, and I'll tell you this. We have an interim order that allows for a very rapid review of the uh, data that's coming in from the vaccine manufacturers. In fact, all three leading, data, all three leading vaccines have submitted to Health Canada for uh, rolling regulatory reviews, and we have the ability to provide an interim order to use those vaccines once we're satisfied that they're safe for Canadians. And the federal government responds to concerns from some small businesses about the fairness of lockdowns. Decisions on lockdowns and public health orders are made by premiers, they're made by mayors, and they're made by public health officials at the local level. And that's how it should be, because our country is vast and there's not going to be a one-size fits-all policy for Canada. It's Tuesday, November 24th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Susan Delacourt, columnist for the Toronto Star. Susan, thank you for joining us today. Good morning, Mark. There is a lot to talk about uh, in terms of the coronavirus pandemic and how different jurisdictions in this country are responding. Ontario Premier Doug Ford is bringing in uh, retired General Rick Hillier to lead a distribution task force once there is a vaccine. The numbers have been mounting in Ontario and Alberta in particular and in other parts of the country. It appears the Atlantic bubble has been broken a little bit. Uh, so where do you think we stand at this moment in the fight against this pandemic? Uh, at a precarious place, actually. Um, I, if you've, you know, a, a week of, of watching all these news conferences shows that the politicians are as dispirited as probably their populations. It's uh the uh, the Atlantic bubble bursting is a sign that you know everybody was looking to the Atlantic as a place where this is going right. Uh, Ontario's lockdown in Toronto and Peel has got people very very frustrated there. I, I write for the Toronto Star. I've been reading some of the things in there. People are very worried. Um, and Alberta is an interesting place. This is Jason Kenney. There there's been a, um, a, a sort of half in jest, but people have been wondering where he is. He's been in self-isolation for the second time during COVID, but he hasn't come out virtually either. And he's he's kind of gone to ground. But this is a, a premier, and we all knew him here in Ottawa as a, as a rather gregarious politician. Uh, but he's been saying that his province is the freest. Uh, it's uh, sort of been resistant to limits on people's freedom. And Alberta looks like it's paying the price for that, that it has become an argument for clamping down on, on this virus. So Jason Kenney uh, met with his cabinet last night and is going to constructions today. And you can, you, you can actually just see the waves of, of, um, of problems this is going to cause just spiritually, if nothing else, or economically too, to Alberta, which was already in a tough place. So, yeah, uh, yeah it's, I, I think uh, 
yeah, the news seems to be all bad, but it was very, as you mentioned there, very much tempered. You saw Doug Ford desperate to come out and talk about some good news yesterday, so started talking about vaccine rollout, which is going to be a whole other set of problems, by the way. But, yeah, and let's but talk about that for a, a moment, because that's that's an interesting aspect of this as well, where there are questions being asked about whether Canada will get the vaccine at the same time as other countries, which, which vaccines will have access to, how they will be introduced, uh, how they will decide who gets a vaccine and when. So there are a lot of issues being worked out, I'm sure, behind the scenes right now. Yeah, this has been simmering for a few weeks. If you notice, as soon as the news emerged of the great vaccines that are out there in the world, um, the, the Pfizer one, Moderna, and now we've got AstraZeneca, uh, that these vaccines are being produced. Canada said, you know, it had its hand up. In fact, The Economist wrote um, a chart uh, a couple of weeks ago now, a week. Time is all melting into one. Uh, the Economist ran a... Uh, a chart showing that Canada had purchased more vaccine than any other country in the world has placed orders for it. That's because we don't make it. Know that I think it's when you don't have it, go buy it. So Canada has its own, not does not have a homegrown vaccine yet, uh, and it is so it is furiously buying up all of these other properties. The problem is that we've been seeing that Britain is saying, and the United States is talking, they're all talking about rolling this out before the end of this year. Justin Trudeau has made no such promises. We, uh, he said early in the new year. We heard Christine Elliott in Ontario, the health minister, saying yesterday that would be March before things were rolling out, and reporters were asking good questions yesterday about how's it going to look in Canada if they start seeing people being immunized in the United States and Britain and other countries and we're not getting it here. And I I expect those questions are going to intensify, you know, as, as more and more focuses on the vaccine. All right, let's talk about uh, something you touched on earlier. In Alberta, they're having the discussion over what to allow to remain open and what to require is uh, be closed. And that debate, of course, has played out uh, on multiple occasions through different phases of this crisis in 2020 right across the country. Uh, there are some small business owners and, and organizations that are suggesting there has been uh, a level of unfairness to some of the decisions that have been made around this, that some businesses have been adversely affected when that wasn't necessary, that others have been allowed to remain open when perhaps they should have been closed. Uh, there has been a kind of a, a bluntness to the approach here rather than a level of sophistication in a lot of cases, hasn't there? Absolutely. And, you, uh, you know, uh, it was Dan Kelly from the Canadian Federation of Independent Business who said this to me back in the spring and was saying it everywhere. And I, I give him credit for uh, for pushing this out there. The idea that when you close all the small stores and then have people doing their groceries at Walmart but throwing in a TV or something else they may need there, it just doesn't seem fair. And this idea has really caught on now. I give credit to the small businesses and, and to the small business organizations who have said, look, you can't shut us and then have these big box stores and big multi-purpose stores staying open. So in Manitoba, they have um, they've blocked off aisles. You know, you, you can go in and buy your groceries in a Walmart, but you can't go buy a TV 
or a, pair, a set of pair of jeans. You, and Doug Ford talked about that yesterday in, in his press conference and said it would be a logistical nightmare to try to do that. But I think you're going to see pressure from small businesses. This, the first time around in the pandemic, that was fine. But if there's going to be a prolonged shutdown, uh, the tolerance for seeing these big box stores, not only getting being allowed to stay open, but take the business from the small business seems really unfair. And unfairness is a big theme in the news right now. All right, let's turn to the fiscal update. We haven't had a budget in 2020. There's been so much that's been happening, and and uh, it's obviously been hard to to pause and, and capture in the moment where Canada's finances stand, but there will be a fiscal update early next week from the new finance minister and deputy prime minister, Christia Freeland. What do you expect to see in that, and how clear can it be given all the variables and uncertainties right now? Yeah, you raise a good question. What can we expect to see? I think we did have a snapshot, and I I think this is a little bigger than a snapshot, but a little less than a budget. So I don't know what we're calling what's coming out next Monday. Something in there. There's got to be a word for it. Uh, The last time there was a snapshot, the the deficit was around um, $343 billion, which is a staggering figure. And you see economists... Uh, wondering how close it's going to be to that three hundred and forty-three billion or four hundred billion. Christopher Freeland, one of her stock phrases of the past couple of months has been, "I don't have a crystal ball," but people are going to ask her to be looking into that crystal ball and come up with something that that looks like a plan for not only what the federal government is going to be spending, but how it's going to get itself out of this um, deficit and debt hole. Uh, you know, it, it's it's a shame, really. In normal times, we would be paying attention to what she was doing as finance minister, as Canada's first female finance minister. You know, that uh, would, would the budget look differently than than all the budgets over the past, you know, the history of Canada? But... It is a different budget, but it's. I, I don't think this is. I, I I think I will though be looking for for what kind of stamp Krista Freeland herself puts on this uh, snapshot and how it is different. It's it, it's worth a look that way. It's just the weirdest times in the world to uh, to try to figure yeah. this out. And I, I you know the most powerful emotions in politics are hope and fear. And the pandemic has seen plenty of that. So I'm, I think, in a big, broad overview, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be looking next Monday to see how much of that, that update is hope and how much is fear. All right. Let's touch briefly as we wrap up, Susan, on uh, the early indications of what Joe Biden's cabinet is going to look like and what that means for Canada. He's chosen, of course, uh, his secretary of state nominee and a few other key players. Uh, so what do you think that means for, for Canada and, and how is it going to change global politics from a very volatile four year period under the Trump administration? Well, first of all, it's not going to be as volatile we're expecting. Uh, the big, big news last night is um, is that the transition formally can now begin. 
in the United States. So first of all, we're going to maybe see what Canada has been doing and whether Canada has had any contacts with the new Biden administration and how quickly that starts. Uh, Canadians should be very happy about the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken. I'm sitting here in front of me with uh, an article he wrote Almost two years ago, uh, America First is only making the world worse. He is a, 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 he's been with Biden for years, way back to the days of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. He actually cut his teeth in, in foreign policy in, in, uh, as a bureaucrat doing Canadian policy. He knows Canada, he knows Canadians, and he is, not, he is a multilateralist. He believes that the world works best when it works all together, which is... Apparently, uh, I was told by PMO officials, a big theme that Biden stressed with some enthusiasm on the phone to the prime minister when they had their first phone call. So you are seeing Joe Biden saying, look, I am not going to be America out there thinking uh, it's alone in the world. It's, It's going to be an administration that's going to be working with Canada on that multilateral stage. John Kerry is an interesting choice as a climate advisor, too. Hmm. Also well-known to Canada. Tiny bit of trivia. Uh, Trudeau's controversial trip to the Aga Khan's island. John Kerry was also a guest at that uh, at that destination, too. They stayed together there. So, so they are known to each other. Mm-hmm. All right. Susan, thank you for sharing your thoughts on all of this today. Have a great day. Okay. Thanks, Mark. That's Susan Delacourt, columnist for the Toronto Star. Our government really appreciates the importance of small business, of local, often family-owned businesses. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Globe and Mail, Robin Urbach argues small businesses are right to be angry about lockdowns. Urbach writes, near the beginning of the pandemic, leaders could be excused for using a sledgehammer approach to shutting down the economy. Nine months on, we have more information, and it should be enough to justify a more targeted approach. But testing, contact tracing, and evidence-based policymaking has fallen short. COVID-19 was to blame for the broadness of the first shutdown, but government screw-ups are to blame for the extensiveness of the second. In an editorial, the Toronto Star argues, Pierre Poilievre is flirting with the far right by pushing the Great Reset Conspiracy. The star writes, It's the kind of thing you expect from the tinfoil hat set. So what is Pierre Poilly giving oxygen to that line of thinking? He's not just reaching out to mainstream conservatives. He's sending a message to those who traffic in baseless theories. So far, Aaron O'Toole has been edging the conservatives back to the political center. He must decide if one of his chief lieutenants is helping or hurting that goal by so openly flirting with the wackier elements of the far right. In the National Observer, Kathy Slavik argues the COVID response must include effective risk messaging. Slavik writes, With so much information and misinformation available, ineffective risk communication may lead to a skeptic population that seeks information from less credible sources. While leaders continue to scrutinize the grim forecasts of infection rates, what if they also took the time to effectively communicate the risks they pose? If a shortage of information was the only thing that stopped people from making less risky decisions, tobacco companies would have long gone bankrupt. The key is perceived transparency and credibility of leaders. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. 
Foreign Affairs Minister François-Philippe Champagne will be appearing today before the Special House of Commons Committee on Canada-China Relations. And as CPAC's Martin Stringer reports, he will face a lot of pointed questions from the opposition. Mark, the minister will appear before the committee at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time tonight, and you can expect him to get grilled on several topics. First of all, the report from the Commons Subcommittee on International Human Rights, which described China's treatment of its Uyghur Muslim minority as an act of genocide, and whose conclusion was taken up again by our own ambassador to the UN, Bob Ray. Without a doubt, expect Minister Champagne to be asked about what the Trudeau government plans to do to follow through on those statements. Also, look for the minister to be grilled on Canada's position on refugees from Hong Kong. The immigration minister has extended and eased the ability of some Hong Kong residents to apply for refugee status in Canada, but the opposition parties want to see more done. But perhaps most notably, expect the opposition members on the committee to press the minister on how the government plans to follow through on the motion passed by a majority of MPs in the House of Commons just last week, calling on the government to set up a more robust response, quote-unquote, to Chinese interference and intimidation of Canadian citizens on our own soil. So, Mark, it'll be an interesting committee meeting to watch tonight. Thanks, Martin. Also today... The Prime Minister will hold a news conference at Rideau Cottage before attending question period. And Canadian Heritage Minister Stephen Guilbeault will make a virtual announcement to support Quebec and New Brunswick's electric vehicle charging network. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Tuesday, November 24th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.